Welcome to the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm Sam Marks. And I'm Johnny FD. We're self-made entrepreneurs who invest our own money and use modern technology to invest like a boss. Join us each week for exclusive interviews with our network of modern investors, business owners, and multimillionaires to discover new ways to invest our hard-earned cash. What's up, bosses? This is Johnny FD, and welcome to episode 42 of the Invest Like a Boss podcast. Here is Sam Marks. Greetings, guys. Greetings, Johnny. From snowy Tahoe. Woo! And I'm in sunny Thailand, and we are bringing you guys a very special guest this week. She is a Forbes contributor, so if you've read any of the articles that she's written on there, uh, her name is Key, and we're excited to bring her on. Yeah, definitely. And I might mention first female boss guest, so very excited to have her on. And like you said, she's a contributor for Forbes. She also owns a uh, financial company called Key Financial Media, which produces marketing content for different financial firms. And she also was working for Investor Business Daily since 2005. So she's got a lot of financial experience in different avenues and excited to pick her brain on the topic of dividend investing. Yeah, I, I think that'll be very exciting. Also, I hope you guys get into Shark Tank because that is one of my favorite TV shows. And I know that she has a column uh, on Forbes about Shark Tank. Yes, indeed. So lots of good things to ask her. Really excited to have her on the show. The market's been on a tear lately, Johnny, I'm sure, as you see. So it's a good time to also jump back in and talk about stocks, bonds, and index investing. I like it. Uh, so I hope everyone enjoys this episode and stay tuned for me and Sam's uh, little talk at the end, because I do definitely want to talk about Shark Tank, because that is, I, I think, one of the best shows any young entrepreneur or any any business person in the world should be watching. So let's hear it from Key. And we're back. Key, welcome to the show. So nice to have you on. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted. <laughs> and we loved your article, What You Need to Know About Dividend Investing in 2017. Caught my eye, was in my news feed on my iPhone, started reading about it, started thinking about it. So I'm really happy to dive into this, this article that you put together. And you know, first, just wanted to talk a little bit about, I saw that you're the founder of Key Financial Media, LLC which produces marketing content for financial service firms, it looks like. Could you give us a little bit of background on on that company and how you originally got into finance and finance writing? Well, I like to think of myself as a Jedi master of financial communications. And instead of a lightsaber, I use a keyboard. I am the force behind all of my clients' written communications. And one of my clients currently is a startup in downtown LA called Shipabo. Mm -hmm. And it's basically the Expedia of importing and exporting. So you people could go on the site and compare cargo rates and trucking rates for from anywhere in the world to anywhere in the world. And pick and book and sit back, relax, and everything is done for them. And it just shows up at their door magically. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Very cool. And in your Forbes bio, you mentioned that you also cover Shark Tank in addition to a lot of ETFs and mutual funds. What what specifically are you are you covering with Shark Tank? Because I think that's super cool. I basically cover anyone who's been on the show and how they got into their business, what their business goals are, how they grew their business, and anything related to what people are doing, the main investors are doing on the show. And also kind of related to the show, other, I do pitch business competitions or anything that's Shark Tank like, mm -hmm. you know, like other business competitions, other shows that are similar to Shark Tank. And I, there's also a podcast that's similar to Shark Tank where people go on and pitch and I've covered that. And do you have a favorite shark? Of course. <laughs> My favorite shark is the fiercest and coincidentally the most follically challenged one on the show. <laughs> Can you guess who he is? Kevin O'Leary. He's the founder of O'Leary Ventures and he is the founder of O'Shares ETFs. And that's how I got into Shark Tank actually is through him is his PR person contacted me one day and said, oh, would you like to ke interview Kevin O'Leary? Oh, my. Uh, yes, about his new ETS. And I was just through the roof. And I asked my editor, if since I'm going to be talking to him anyways about his new ETS, can I do a sidebar about Shark Tank? And she said, oh, well, sure. We've been wanting to amp up our coverage of the show. So ever since then, 
I've been doing Shark Tank. Oh my. Well, I, I can't resist and I hate to get sidetracked, but how was how was the interview and, and what were the ETFs that he was he, he now has? Um, he has a suite of O shares ETFs and the biggest one goes by the ticker of OUSA. Mm-hmm. And um it's basically a proprietary, of course, because that's his big thing, is proprietary ETFs that are focused on dividend pairs. Okay, cool. And there's a lot of listeners out there that are follically challenged as myself, which is another reason that he is one of my favorite sharks or is my favorite <laughs> sharks. But that must be super cool. So thanks for sharing that experience with us. Uh, I love that. I mean, I, I watch that show. I'm watching episodes that are four or five years old and there's something you can learn from every single one. So it must be really cool to kind of stay even more in tune to it like you are. Definitely. And I feel that I learned the most from Kevin O'Leary. Yeah, definitely. Well, he's, I mean, he's, he's, the, he's the biggest shark. I think like most people learn more about deal structuring from him than a lot of, than a lot of the other ones. He's very thoughtful and he, he definitely, he definitely goes after deals that he knows he's probably not going to lose on or has a good chance of not losing on versus kind of the, these, uh, these money shots. Yes, definitely. So where are you living right now? Cause I think we're on the same time zone. I'm out in Tahoe. You're out in California as well. Los Angeles. Yes. Right. Very cool. And whereabouts in Los Angeles and, and how long have you been out there? I've been out here, oh my gosh, like 20 years. And I live in the Mid Wilshire, Koreatown area. My neighborhood is actually called Country Club Park. It used to be Hancock Park back in the day. Cool. And you, you like living out there? I was just out in Manhattan Beach. You just, you just can't beat the weather. It's amazing. Most definitely. I love it. And my home is very central to downtown and, you know, the beach, the. West side, east side, mm-hmm. everything. I love my location. Good stuff. Good to hear. So let's talk a little bit about the article. The, and, you know, the headline is, what do you need to know about dividend investing in 2017? So I have a lot of, a lot of specific questions on it, but can you just give us kind of a, a quick summary of, of what the article was about? And, and then uh, I'll interject with a few, few questions that I have that I want to scratch my own itch on. Okay. Well, my article was about um, how... Dividend payers increased their dividends 5% last year. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is that it's basically a pretty average increase compared to all of the dividend raises going back to uh, 1990. And what's interesting is that S&P companies right now are kind of like my late grandparents. They're giving people more money every year, but they're not actually earning more. They're actually making less. And so while companies raised dividends 5% last year, their their earnings actually fell 3% year over year. And earnings have been declining ever since they peaked in the third quarter of 2014. Wow. That was going to be my first question is like, do they pay more dividend because they have extra cash or they're trying to, or because their stock value has increased and they have more, they have more liquidity to, to spin off dividends? I think there's several potential reasons and they're going to vary from company to company but i think as the stock market is getting high uh, going up higher and higher and perhaps arguably getting overvalued maybe companies want to issue bigger dividends to attract more investors the Mm -hmm. way you know old men like to flash their cash to attract younger women i don't i know nothing about that by the way Okay. Well, what about luring kids into cars with candy? Mm, haven't tried that one yet either. <laughs> but I get what you're saying. Yes. And then, or it could be that their profits increase. So they simply want to share the wealth and watch God reach down and shine their halo. Or it could be because they have... They think their growth potential has maxed out at the moment. They don't have any more room to expand capacity. So they think that... The best way to redeploy their money right now is just to give it back to shareholders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. I was floored by a statistic that you had in your article that 397 billion was what the S&P 500 dividend payments were last year. Did I did I read that yes. correctly? That's like yes. that's so that's greater than the GDP of of like 90% of countries on earth. And that really makes you appreciate like just how big the US economy is and and the companies that are domicile here, right? Definitely. Just California alone is one of the biggest economies in the world. Sounds a little biased. Sounds a little biased. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That's pretty incredible. So I am a owner of, let's see, 
I actually picked this up right before the election. Vanguard high high dividend yield index fund investor shares. It's up. I think it's up about I want to say seven percent since I bought it in November, which is crazy. Plus, it's paying like a three and a half, three and a half, almost four percent yield, which I love. I actually just didn't realize until November, and we've been doing this podcast for coming coming up on eight nine months now, that the dividends that are are spun off from a fund like Vanguard High uh, High Dividend Yield Index or many, many, many others like that are actually capped um, or taxed at 15%. I thought they were taxed at ordinary income like REITs. So it's been a, a wonderful benefit to uh, this year when I was doing my taxes to see that a lot of these dividends that I'm actually getting are 15%, which is very manageable compared to something like 39 or 40% uh, tax that a lot of my REITs are getting taxed at, at the ordinary income levels. Oh, I'm actually the most surprising statement in that that you said was that you're already doing your taxes last year or or the year before. I actually drove to the post office and dropped off my tax return (laughs) at the last minute. And I saw how efficient the government can be. It's the most amazing thing. Well, I I, honestly, I've been late or filed an extension the last 10 years (laughs) and every year I'm a mess, but my investments keep growing. So I just like uh, my tax return last year was like 160 pages. It just keeps piling up, piling up. So I'm just trying to be much more proactive about it this year and know where I stand in terms of how much money I owe because I keep getting these, you know, these statements from my accountant in like September of like how much I owe. I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to pay that now. And I have to file my tax return in three more years and pay more money. So I'm just trying to get a little bit more ahead of the curve this time. Awesome. So, okay. So I took a look and in the S&P 500, the dividend paying stocks, returned 15.6% last year, which is crazy, right? So historically, that's great for investors that owned them last year, but historically, there's just no way that those returns are going to keep up. So that would probably indicate that either this year or in the years ahead, it's going to rebalance much further to the downside and come try to eventually, it always comes back to that kind of historical level of 7 to 8% growth, right? Yes. I would say... Everything in the stock market has a tendency to revert to the mean. The winners become the losers. The losers become the winners. Mm -hmm. And arguably, we're eight years into the bull market that started in 2009. So the bears say we're long overdue for a visit from the dark lord. It's just too late to jump on any stocks or and dividend stocks for that matter, because there's no point in buying a stock that pays two to 5% and then holding it while it loses 30% or more. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And statistically, we are long overdue for a bear market because we really haven't had a major bear market since 2008. And going back uh, the past century, we've had a bear market about once every three and a half years. Mm -hmm. So, and there have been 32 bear markets between 1990 and 2013. So the party just can't last forever. Yeah, absolutely. We had Harry Dent on episode 39, about three episodes back. And that was a, I mean, I've, I've been following Harry Dent for a long time. So I know kind of his message and his research. So it was nothing really shocking to me. But to a lot of our listeners, I mean, he's calling for Dow Jones 4,000 sometime wow. in the next couple of years. Um but I, you know, I think everyone's in the same mindset as you are, uh, that the market's probably overvalued right now, that we're in for some type of correction. And I was thinking about it last night. I was like, you know, okay, if the market corrects to, let's say, you know, 15,000, Dow Jones, 15,000 or even below, everyone's rooting for this bear, for this bull market. But if you're a long-term investor, especially in some of these dividend funds, like, like you're talking about, then a correction is actually a good thing, right? Because your dollar cost averaging, if you're reinvesting the dividends, your dollar cost averaging at a much lower price. So when the market comes back up to the, maybe to the levels that we're at or higher, you're going to get even more growth out of it. So if you're a long-term investor, it's almost like you would be rooting for that, correct? Definitely. Because when everyone is running scared, you're going to be prepared and do the opposite. Because that's what smart investors do. That's what Warren Buffett teaches. Yeah. <laughs> Did you have you seen this new documentary, by the way? No. Oh my gosh, it's amazing. Uh, Becoming Buffett. I watched it two nights ago in Tahoe. It was snowing, uh, but there was just enough internet signal to stream it. 
it's, you can get it on YouTube for free. It's, it's on HBO. It's an amazing, amazing story. Like I, I respect the guy so much more, but also like learning about the, ins, you know, the, the inside of his life and who he is. Like he's just, he's totally almost closed off to the world. He just likes to sit in a room and read the newspaper and think like he's just, his head is just like a big computer that just analyzes all these numbers all day. Um, I don't want to spoil it for anyone out there that wants to, to, to watch it, but I, Highly, highly recommend. It was super cool. And just to see his lifestyle, like how, how humble and modest he is. He's had the same house and same office for 50 years or something. Still eats at McDonald's and drinks Coca-Cola every day. So it's, it's really cool. You got to watch it. You'll love it. Okay, definitely. I will check it out. Thank you for the recommendation. Oh, yeah, for sure. And so what do you think drove 15.6% last year? I mean, a lot, the stock, most markets were up, but what do you think drove, you know, the, the, the investment into these these dividend paying stocks last year, which outperformed so many other sectors, like I, I own healthcare and stuff. Those are still pathetically uh, down over the last three or four years, but they outperformed so many sectors. What do you think caused that growth? People just hunting for yield or, or something else? Yes, there's several reasons. One is that people are hunting for yield and dividend income in an era of ridiculously low interest rates. So they're not making any money on CDs or even low risk bonds. Mm -hmm. And then it could be that dividends tend to go hand in hand with value stocks and arguably maybe value stocks were the flavor of the month last year at a time when the stock market is considered was considered overpriced last year and it's still considered overpriced this year because it hasn't even uh, Mm -hmm. barely had much of a correction. And then it could be that dividend payers were more profitable and better managed and thus had more money to distribute. Or it could be dividend payers outperform non-dividend payers historically. There's tomes of research that shows how dividend payers outperformed non-dividend payers in the long run. And hence, that's why it's become the cornerstone of investment firms like Wisdom Tree and Kevin O'Leary's O-Shares. Kevin O'Leary, love that guy. I got to check out the Zoshares. We'll have to leave a link to that in the, to the show notes. Is that? Do you know how, like how that's been performing since he's had it? You know, I did an update on him a year after one of yeah. his suite of funds released him. One of them did outperform handsomely. I forgot which one it was, but well, it was huge. Okay, so Johnny, I'll, Johnny and I will look that up and include some some details on that in the show or in the uh, the outro and commentary to this. That'll be really cool. I wanted to know, like I mentioned, I saw also in your article that about bonds and bonds are always, they kind of confuse me a lot of times. I just don't understand why a, like a certain bond index funds are, can go down in a year, like municipal bonds last year go down more than they're actually yielding. Like the only reason I would buy a bond is just for its kind of safe yield. And when they, the funds go down, you know, four or five percent and they're only yielding like three and a half percent, just it like rattles my brain. It doesn't even make sense. But I saw in your article that it was talking about how bonds sold off kind of in the wake of the election. And, you know, why do you think that that was the case? I'm sure there's multiple variables, but. What do you think? Well, first of all, I would like to be clear that it had nothing to do with Russia or Vladimir <laughs> Putin. And any reports about the Russians interfering with the bond market is just a ruse. It's fake news. Totally fake news. Uh, we have a lot of that fake news out there, but not on this podcast. <laughs> yes, just kidding. Pretty much the bond market crapped its pants after Donald Trump went into office because they see him as the Antichrist for the the economy. If his economic agenda goes through, then they think it would skyrocket economic growth and thus inflation. And in an era of inflation and higher risk, people want more bond yield to offset the loss of their spending power Mm -hmm. from the inflation. And during the campaign, um, Donald Trump called for lowering corporate taxes and everyone else is across the board. And people think that that's just going to skyrocket the feds, the federal uh, government's debt. Mm -hmm. Like right now, the federal government's debt is currently at 77% of GDP, which is 14 trillion. And they think that if... Donald Trump's, um, like, for instance, the Tax Policy Center thinks that if Donald Trump's federal cuts plus his all of his wild infrastructure plans go through, then he would 
blast the national debt to more than 105% of GDP. And theoretically, he wants to spend all the more money, but then at the same time, cut revenue by 6.2 trillion over 10 years because from all of his tax cuts. Right. Uh, so Todd Rosenblurth, the director of uh, an ETF and mutual funds, uh, in the article recommended ProShares S&P 500 dividend aristocrats, which I haven't looked up yet. So I'm guessing that's just a, a good high yielding dividend fund. I wanted to know if there's any other high yielding funds that you might recommend. I already mentioned the one that, that I own through Vanguard. Yes, I actually recommend Vanguard because they have the lowest manage, annual management fees and they have two dividend ETFs. They might have more, but the two main ones I recommend are um, Vanguard Dividend Appreciation ETF with the ticker VIG and Vanguard High Dividend Yield ETF VYM. And both charge only nine basis points or 0.09% of assets annually. Okay. Just looking that one up right now. We talk that looks good. And yeah, we always recommend Vanguard. Gotta love those low fees. That's always a common theme with everybody we talk to. Even financial advisors that charge a percent, they it always comes back to, you know, you can pick the perfect asset allocation model or you can pick something that's maybe not perfect. But the overall, the big difference is finding something that's low fee because 1% or 1.5% if you're paying an advisor over the course of 20 or 30 years can add up to be ridiculous amounts of money. Yes. So if the Fed raises interest rates a couple times this year, as they've suggested, you know, that is going to put burden on dividend stocks, dividend funds, and also bonds. So if they raise rates, I'm just trying to get an idea of what to expect out of dividend funds in 2017. If they raise rates, those yields become less attractive. Maybe people go for more small cap stocks because they have a higher growth potential. What, what do you think for 2017? Well, that's the uh, million dollar question is that you really can't predict the future and how the stock market will react in the future just because it reacted a given way in the past. And so I think people should just brace for all potential outcomes and all potential scenarios. Like, for instance, if interest rates go up, then dividend um, paying stocks might fall because investors jump out of those and go into lower risk bonds because they're paying higher yield now. And dividend payers might get pummeled because if interest rates go up, then more people are going to go um, by the dollar and that's going to appreciate the dollar's value, making U.S. exports more expensive overseas. And then that in turn could dampen multinational profits and hurt their share prices. Gotcha. So <laughs> we just can't predict the future. I know a lot of people are saying like, high, you know, these, these high yield, large, mature, uh, mature companies, mature stocks and funds are probably one of the safer places to be if we hit a big correction. You know, you still get, you'll still get a good yield. Uh, unless we get a huge correction like Harry Dent's calling for, which wouldn't be a correction. It would be a massive depression. Um, and then a lot of things are going to be in trouble. But still being in the blue chip companies, I think is definitely a safer bet than being in some small cap companies, which I certainly own a lot of because I love small cap. I love startups, but we'll just have to see. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm definitely not over optimistic about the future, especially in the in the months ahead after maybe Trump's halo effect wears off. I don't know. But every day I look at the stock market and it's up, up, up. I'm just like, this cannot, this can't sustain for too much longer. Exactly. And how about you, Kia? What do you, you know, I'm very curious in what you invest in. Um, if you own stocks, fund, stocks, REITs, any of this stuff. And I know, I think you mentioned earlier that you do some some pretty interesting new alternative investing. So I'm really interested to see what you're what you're personally investing in. Yes, I actually have an IRA with Vanguard and Fidelity. And in the Vanguard um, account, I own the Vanguard High Dividend Yield Index Fund, which is basically just a mutual fund version of VYM that mm -hmm. I mentioned earlier. And then in Fidelity, I also have this niche ETF called, a it's a business development ETN, which tracks an index of business development companies. And what's the purpose of having Vanguard and Fidelity together? Is that for any specific strategic reason? 
No, not at all. I have always been loyal to Vanguard and I when I started investing when uh, right after college and I just had to open a Fidelity account because I worked for a company that had used that as its 401k. Gotcha. And the fund that you have in there, is that also low fee or is that something different? Is that less flexible? Uh, for Fidelity or Vanguard? For Fidelity. Oh, I'm in Fidelity. I'm hyper diversified. And so, but I do tend to go for the low fee funds and the ETFs. Okay, cool. And how about any anything else? You own any type of REITs or any other funds like that? Yes. In terms of REITs, I own REITs via ETFs and real estate crowdfunding companies. Okay. So from Vanguard, I have the Vanguard REIT ETF, which has a ticker symbol VNQ. And then from real estate crowdfunding companies, I have all five E-REITs fund from Fundrise just for the sake of diversity. Oh, cool. Yeah. I also, inv- yeah, I didn't know that. I also invest in Fundrise. So hold on. You have all five. Oh, you have. Okay. I see what you did. You, they have five funds basically. Yes. And you did like their portfolio builder, which kind of diversifies a, a, a lump sum of money into all five of those funds. Um, portfolio builder. I'm well, just, it's new. That's oh. what, that's why. I, yeah, it's brand new. So that, that's how I thought maybe you did that. So, okay. So you, never mind. You explain it to me. I uh, guess you did it manually. Yes, I did it manually because I, I started investing last year and, um, you know, as the new ETFs came to market, I invested in them. Very cool. So we've actually had uh, Ben Miller, the CEO of Fundrise on this show back maybe four or five months ago. And then we have a new episode coming out pretty soon with Kendall, who's in charge of their investments. And I, I think they're super, super sharp people. Every time I've called them just to like inquire about questions, they're just totally on it. Um, so I've invested in their, their growth and their income REIT. And my co-host Johnny has also done, I believe, both of those funds. So how's it like, you know, ex, ex, describe your experience with them so far. Has that been, you know, has that been relatively good? And how long have you been investing with them? Well, I started in April of last year with just a small amount amount of money. And then I, you know, after I I saw a little return, I added more money. And then, so last year in total, I I calculated, I made less than 4%, but I'm good with that because it's very stable. And so far, knock on wood, and um, I'm just trying it out. And it's just for the sake of portfolio diversification and owning hard assets. Yeah, definitely. So it's been cool. How did you end up hearing about them or getting into that? They actually contacted me to do a story about them last year when they were launching. And so I uh, looked into it and I thought they have, um, they're a good alternative or supplement to re-ETFs and Mm -hmm. real estate investing funds. Yeah, I like the fact that there's no volatility per se. I mean, the value of the properties will go up and down. The value of the funds will go up and down based on the net asset value. But what I like about it is it's kind of like the I own annuities and people always dog me because I, I own annuities that pay two and a half, three percent. But you know, every night I go to sleep, I don't care if the market's up 10% or down 10%. It's just one statement at the end of the year that I get that says, here's your two and a half percent you made in interest. And this is about as safe as any place you could have money. And what I kind of like about Fundrise is it's, it's basically the same thing. Like it doesn't matter if the market goes up or down. Of course, if, if the real estate market tanks like it did in 2008, then, you know, the funds are going to, going to have issues and, and go down in value. But other than that, you know, the, my Vanguard, you mentioned you own Vanguard REITs. I also own Vanguard REITs. You know, last year was like this wild swing where yes. they were up, they were up like, 15% and then down. And then I think they ended up just like maybe like pretty much even, but it's like, man, all of that turmoil and all, all of that like emotional headache and stress just to make like a couple percent at the end of the year. I'm like, okay, I'd rather take whatever we're making through Fundrise. And, um, and just to add on your comment with Fundrise. So I, I own the income and growth. The income paid out 11%. I made 11% on that last year. Oh. The growth. The growth one paid less and I asked them about it. It, it paid 8% one quarter. And then the next quarter, last quarter, it paid only like, I think two or two, maybe around like 2%. So I asked them about that and, um, we'll definitely include that in the episode that we have coming up with them. There's, you know, there's a strategic reason why they did that, um, with reinvesting more money back into the, uh, into the fund and to acquire more assets. But I thought it's super cool, like talking to them. I mean, I learned so much just 
being a part of these funds, I learned so much more about real estate and, and, and how these things work versus being in like a Vanguard ETF for REITs. Great. So anything else, Key? any other investments we should know about you, uh, financial wonder woman? <laughs> I have, I just recently bought the Realty um, Mogul's Mogul REIT One, which is a similar mm-hmm. competing product to Fundrise. And I just felt comfortable with them because they actually are in the same office building as my husband. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. In Los Angeles. So he sees Mm -hmm. them and he went to talk to them personally. And I talked to and So they seem and they have a good reputation. And I just read a lot of good things about them. So it's very, very risky. So I just put a little bit of money with them, too. Do you think that's more risky than than Fundrise? No, not more, just equally. Okay, got you. You know who else is in Los Angeles? We we had on the episode, actually last episode, uh, Brew Johnson, he's the CEO of Pier Street. They're down in Manhattan Beach. You should run by their office. They're very open. They'd love to have you, I'm sure. Um, And that's, they're not uh, REIT for say, they're uh, they're peer-to-peer lending where the the loan is actually secured by or collateralized by the borrower's property. Mm. So we've been we've been a big fan of that, and that's it's it's different than uh, than a REIT, but we thought it was a really good investment in 2016. So you should check that out and swing by. I'm sure they'd love to ha- to have you, and uh, you'd love to hear their story as well. Definitely, thank you for the recommendation. Cool. So that's awesome to hear about all your different investments. If you if you have anything else that pops up of interest in the future, please let us know because we're always looking for like these new, especially these new modern platforms that are they're so new, and there's not a lot of people that have experience with them. So we've been dabbling in a lot, putting money, you know, small amounts of money here and there, just to try them out and see what the experience is like. So you know, in the future, any any particular experiences you have or new things that you try, please let us know. We'd love to share it with our listeners and and have you back on the show to to talk about more of these experiences. Definitely. What you said is dead on is with these things, they're very, very experimental. So I don't suggest anyone, you know, try this at home unless you really, really can take the risk because mm-hmm. I mean, no one can for sure know that they can get their money back. Even they say that it's very, very risky, but you're taking a calculated risk, but Still, there's no guarantees when it comes to real estate investing or stock market investing for that matter. Yeah, I agree totally. I mean, I think that's it's why, like everyone always says, it's important to diversify. And that's why a lot of people that are new to investing in REITs, I say, you know what? Just invest in Vanguard's REIT because it's probably, you know, there's volatility there. But unless something really catastrophic happens to the global economy, like your money is, you know, your principal is somewhat protected. I mean, the fund could go down 50%, but a lot of these new modern investing platforms, like you have to put a lot of faith and trust in the platform, the technology, and then of course the people behind it. So there is, I think there is definitely more reward there in terms of earnings, but there is, like you said, there, there's just more risk. And a lot of these, these things are still, these technologies are still emerging. So uh, something definitely to keep an eye on and, and dabble in and, and tread lightly, as you said. Yes. So, uh, Key, any other places that people can follow? People want to, you know, continue on your reading and, and stay in tune with your material. What's the best way for people to follow you? I know you, you contribute to Forbes regularly. What other ways could people find out more about you and and see what you're you're saying about the financial markets? Um, pretty much follow me on Forbes, please. Yes, um, it's Key K Y. Trang Ho. And I also have a website called Key Financial Media and Key is spelled K-E-Y. And I also write on Medium under Key Trang Ho. Oh, great. Okay. Awesome. All right. Well, Key, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was great, enjoyable, knowledgeable, and we are going to leave links to all of your material in the show notes. And we look forward to having you back on another time in the future and and hopefully catching up in uh, LA at some point. I would love to. Okay. We'll catch you next time. Thanks, Key. Okay. Thank you. Bye. That was a super interesting episode. It's kind of nice to hear the voice of who's writing on Forbes because we always kind of you know, see their photo. Uh, it's, it's always somebody that's a professional that's kind of talking to us. Uh, as in, you know, they're writing an article, you know, they probably spent weeks, if not months prepping for it. And then we read the final product. It's kind of cool just having a candid conversation with somebody who that is their job, but they're also just a normal human being. 
Definitely agree. And I think it's cool. Like the people that are the last episode that we had was with Brett Owens. He was a Forbes contributor and we did on REITs. A lot of people love that episode. So it's cool because who's ever putting this out there? Obviously, Forbes has a very high level of quality control and, and vetting for the contributors that, that put content out for them. So the people that, that put it out there really know their stuff and have really dedicated their study on a topic. So I really enjoyed that. There's a lot of interesting, uh, to say the least, points in her article then also that we raised on the podcast. Um, some cautionary, some exciting, but definitely some cautionary about the levels of dividends that were being raised and distributed compared to the earning levels. So I don't know. What's your take, Johnny? So I definitely want to talk about that, but I think even before we get to the kind of the nitty gritty of the, of the financials, I think this is a great reminder that even though Sometimes we think investors uh, or people in the financial space or you know, somebody that would even read Forbes, yet alone write for them, would be so above our level and somebody that we cannot even connect with. I, I think I felt like that for pretty much my whole life. You know, if I read, read like the Wall Street Journal or Forbes or something, I always thought, okay, these are probably, you know, uh, 55 year old, you know, old, old white guys that just live mm-hmm. and breathe in a, in a three piece suit every day. And, this podcast and, you know, being able to bring, you know, like real people onto the show and pick their brains and talk to them. It's it, to me, it's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, how much have we learned just from doing this podcast and the level of people that we've been able to get on the show and spread their wisdom and their experience. And, and you know what also we're definitely finding is you find these really smart people. They just want to help. Like they know that it's not easy to invest smartly or to make smart financial decisions. So many people just like you and I, Johnny, have made tons of mistakes. So more and more like the common theme with a lot of these high level people are they just want to get on and help. They're not expecting anything in return. They just want to get on and and share their experience because they've been through it too. And they know that it's a, a really long learning curve. Yeah. And I absolutely love that. And I think that's why I get so excited. I mean, this is actually honestly one of the, my favorite times of the week is just hopping on a call with you, uh, you know, hearing from the guests and then being able to talk about it afterwards and share the lessons that we've learned and just pass that forward. Definitely. And also, you know, the reviews that keep coming in, you know, we got a, an, another half dozen great reviews this week. And that's kind of reinforcement for us, like the reason that we're doing it, because we're not making anything off this except making better investment decisions ourselves. So seeing those come in and knowing that, not to say that we're giving advice, but just what we're learning through the experience of other people and through the knowledge of other people is actually helping other people either make more money or make smarter financial decisions. A lot of times that is in the form of saving money by not making mistakes or just making better financial decisions. So that's been really cool. It's been a big moral win for sure. Definitely. And that's not saying that we hope to lose money on this podcast forever. It would be great <laughs> if we started making enough money from this, not only to cover the costs, but also if we can somehow make this our full-time living, that'd be, that'd be amazing. I mean, just like how if you can write for about a topic that you really enjoy writing about and having that be a full-time living, that's awesome. And I think it's cool that not only does Key write about it, but she also invests herself and she you know, openly talks about that. Yeah. And, and in fact, there's only one person making money off this podcast, and that is Anthony, our spe- spectacular editor. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. So uh, thank you, edit- <laughs> Anthony, for editing these podcasts for all these, uh, all these months. Uh, and mm-hmm. Key, thank you, you know, f- for sharing this, this knowledge. I started thinking a little bit more about dividend investing while listening in on this interview. And mm-hmm. it, at first I was like, you know what? That makes sense. I just want to buy everything with dividends because I love getting that check. But I think what, you know, then what she brought up about having them, you know, possibly, you know, have a, a different risk component because people might overvalue them just because they're paying dividends or they're, you know, they're artificial, you know, they're inflating the dividend numbers to keep people happy. It made me kind of realize I'm happy when stocks pay dividends, but I don't think I'm going to buy stocks just because they do. Yeah. And I think anytime you look at a fund that's been up 15% or even double digits, like a lot of these funds were last last year, but you know, so many funds were up last year and over, or over the last 12 months, even like the small cap that we got into after the Paul Merriman episode, those are all up double digits. I mean... It's just not realistic that that growth is going to make is going to continue for the years ahead. But so you would expect it to rebalance more towards a norm of seven or eight percent, which might very well mean that this year it's going to be a down year or next year it's going to be a down year. But I do like 
the fact that they are the, the dividend paying stocks typically are larger larger cap blue chip companies a lot of people are, are worried about a big correction even a recession coming you know those are the type of companies that are going to be a lot more stable a lot more a lot more redundancies built in than small cap right so if you're a little bit more worried about the downside potential in the future, I think that's a good place to be, even if it's slightly over overvalued. Yeah, I can definitely see that. But at the same time, I'm also really excited about the the value stocks right now. Uh, mm-hmm. I've been, I think, after that the episode, I bought a, I've been buying nothing but VBR, which is Vanguard's small, you know, uh, small cap stocks, value stocks, mm-hmm. and I've been trying to just. You know, rebalance my portfolio. And I think sometimes when we say rebalance, I, the first time I even heard of rebalance, I assumed what it meant was sell twenty percent of something to buy, you know, and use that money to buy something else. But instead of doing that, which you know has uh, negatives as well, things like paying taxes on the gains and you know, mm-hmm. things going up and down, I just decided, okay, well, why don't I just stop buying VTI for a few months and just buy more v- VBR, and naturally it'll start balancing. I like that, and I love value funds as well and stocks i just finished watching i mentioned this in the episode becoming buffett have you seen it johnny you know what that is on my to-do list to watch i'm, I'm gonna put it back on right after this because because I, I definitely Dude, see that it's great it's so good i mean i i like i didn't never really knew much about warren buffett except that he's a great investor but it kind of gets into like man it was just his story is just really crazy and i He's just the type of guy, like all he wants to do all day is sit kind of alone in an office and read a newspaper and like crunch numbers. It's it's really cool. And it's it's definitely affected his personal life over the course of however old he is. But really good story, like cool guy. And and he, in his documentary, talks a lot about value stocks. I mean, that's how much he's pretty much made all of his money is finding value stocks. So I'm huge, you know, huge proponent of it. I don't think I have enough value in, in my different uh, in my portfolios, but something I definitely continue to pursue, uh, especially after that Paul Merriman episode. I love that episode. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that. It also reminds me that not all of us are meant to sit and watch things like this all day. And some of us really prefer to be able to sit and watch a, our Netflix shows and just enjoy and not think about it for a year. And at the end of the year, get our dividend payouts or at the end of the quarter uh, or end of the month, whatever it is. So, I think you know, Warren Buffett's story kind of just reminds me even more. I never want to become a full-time stock picker. I never want to be an mm-hmm. analyst. I want other people to do that work, like Warren Buffett, you know, or these companies that we reinvest in uh, and these funds, and just log in when, whenever we feel like it. Yeah, and just on a point of the dividend paying funds, I would take a good look at what you are actually already invested in, Johnny, because I know you're in VTI and VB, VBR. I believe those already those funds pay out something around like two and a half percent. So the funds that we're talking about in the episode, including my, my dividend fund, which is uh, Vanguard High Dividend Yield Index, it doesn't pay out that much more. It's like I, I checked it just before we got on. It's like 2.8, 2.9%. But if you just buy the S&P 500, it's paying like two and a half percent. So it's not like a huge difference. Um, but what is one thing that's pretty cool, if you log into Vanguard and you just check your your monthly income, don't worry about like the growth, but look at the monthly income. You're actually getting, you know, a nice, nice dividends each month like that can that can help you consciously. If we go into you know a recession, you still see that that income coming in each week. I think it's a pretty good exercise. Not each week, sorry, each month. Yeah, I just logged in and I took a look at my 2016 total dividend payout, and it's it's honestly something I didn't even really think about because I you know I didn't buy VTI just for the dividends, uh, which it looks like it's about yeah it's about 1.82 percent, so that's actually not bad. I mean you know I think that's what it is on average. I'm sure it goes up and you know up and down, but that's not bad for just having money in <clears throat> something that. I bought for a completely different reason in the first place. And the fact that I made a little over $2,000 last year just in dividends, to me, that's like that's just free money. Yeah, I I'm, was going to log into my Vanguard account, but my girlfriend's looking over my shoulder, so I can't, can't do that right now. <laughs> if, you, <laughs> if, you, um, if you look at that monthly, it's cool because when the market had a lot of volatility last year, I was like, you know what? I'm, t- I'm, look- I'm starting to look at my Vanguard account way too much. But if you think about, you know, what you're getting in dividends each month, it can help you weather a lot of storms because you you remember that you're not just buying 
just index funds or whatever you're invested in there strictly for the capital gains and the, the stock appreciation, you're also getting regular income. And that certainly helped me a lot kind of settle my anxiety about stock prices or if the market's up or the market's down or whatever. Yeah, <clears throat> I think that's very cool. And I just took a look at VBR, which is the small cap value funds that I've been investing in more. And the average uh, dividend payout is 2.04%. So that is awesome to me. And to get a 2% return just to hold on to these these stocks and have the potential mm-hmm. for that to grow to me it's like that's exciting for me i agree one thing that came up on the episode i thought was really cool going into what you wanted to talk about a little bit which is shark tank is kevin o'leary's got a new etf fund that's called o shares i took a quick look at it, it looks awesome I don't, I don't have enough information to share about it on this episode but i know a lot of listeners out there will be will be keen to hear more so we'll try to gather more information on that as we go forward but johnny shark tank best show ever so shark tank has been my best show ever until i found a very similar show that is shark tank on shark tank <laughs> And it's called the, <laughs> hear me Shark out. Tank on steroids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, Shark Tank is like business on steroids where, you know, yeah. you get thrown in there and it's amazing. So this show that if you guys like Shark Tank, you will love the profit with Marcus. Oh, uh, no, sorry. Uh, yeah. Marcus Le- Leomis. Have you, have you mm-hmm. ever seen it? No, I've heard it though. Sam, that is your homework. I'm going to watch the Warren Buffett documentary. You have to watch at least one episode of the profit. Okay, how many episodes is it? So like like, many seasons? Yeah, it's four seasons now. And just like how you go back and you watch Shark Tank from the beginning, you know, episodes that are years old and you still learn a ton from it. Not only are you entertained, but you also learn a ton from it. I've learned so much from Profit. God, you you have an hour and a half homework and I have six months. You don't have to watch all the episodes, but (laughs) definitely get started. And and I guarantee you're going to love it and you're not going to turn it off. Okay, cool. I'll put it on the list and I will report back after I see episode one. Yeah. And every single person listening to this as well, that is your homework. Watch one episode of The Profit. Let us know how you like it. Leave, leave a comment uh, on, on this episode. This is what? Episode 42 or join the Boss Lounge. We talk about it on there. I think that if every single person, you know, instead of watching Dr. Phil or any, you know, these other kind of waste of time shows... If they mm-hmm. watch things like the Shark Tank or the Profit, their lives would be so much better off. And read, like for sure, the I think the best twenty dollar investment you can make is buying a book, which is someone's entire life and wisdom, like wrapped up into two hundred and fifty pages. And we actually just published a new page on the site. If you go to invest and click start here. It's 33 books that have had a big impact on Johnny or I or some of the most successful people we know. And we're going to continue to add to that if we, if we find gems or diamonds in the rough that really you know, strike a chord and have a big impact on our financial life, we're going to add it in there. So be sure to check that out. We'll leave a l- link in the show notes as well. Yeah, definitely. So go to investlikeaboss.com and click on start here under invest. You know, Let's actually make that even easier to find because I think this is so important for people to be able to to look for and you know if anything it really is our our recommended reading list so mm-hmm. let's yeah let, let's make that a little bit more clear and what, what i can do is i can email this out to our list as well so if you guys haven't joined the email list yet go to investlikeaboss.com enter your email and we'll send you cool things like this Th- these are really kind of just curated things to make your life easier and help you kind of get started in the right order yeah, definitely. And if you guys are on that list, we don't e- email out much. I think it's usually once a week, just when a new episode's live. Um, and then, yeah, that's pretty much it, right, Johnny? Occasionally, yeah. we have something really pressing. And I really like how you broke this down, where even like with the shows, because now that we have 42, a lot of people have been saying, I, you know, I found one of your episodes, but then I started from episode one and I've been listening in order so I can learn everything. And I think that's amazing. But I think as we get more and more episodes, that might be even, you know, more difficult for people to catch up. So the fact that you took the time to break them down to say, these are like, these episodes are great for beginners. These are for intermediate investors. And then here's like the advanced stuff if you're really into that. Well, hopefully it's useful for all the listeners out there. And I mean, those books, especially the books, I mean, we wouldn't have started this podcast without the books, right? The books gave us the base knowledge to become successful in our own initiatives, which are totally different things, but not too far apart. And 
and then, you know, that, that gave us the confidence basically to start this podcast and to have money to invest. So the books is a great place to start. And then getting into the episodes, most people, if you're listening to this episode, you've listened to a lot of them, but you might not have listened to all of them. Go back and take a, take a listen to any ones you've missed. Cause there's, there's little value bombs in every single episode for sure. Yeah, I, I do love that. And I think this week, one thing that the key recommend, uh, mentioned that she has invested in and we've invested in, we both like is Fundrise. So mm-hmm. that's cool to hear that, you know, just kind of completely separately, that, you know, that's something that she found and, and she thought was great. Yeah, I called up her actually just a little bit afterwards and I was asking her, you know, what kind of drove her to that, you know, that investment. And she said that she was, she is in was previously a tenant in LA and had, or I'm sorry, sorry, not tenant landlord had a horrible experience being a landlord, like evictions and lawsuits and just people that trashed their places. And so she's wanted to investigate and, and, you know, try these new modern platforms. And so far seems to have had a really good experience. So I, totally coincidental that we have people on the show that may come from a more traditional investing background. And now they're trying these new platforms that we've had, you know, relatively good experiences with. So cool. And really just excited to hear what, you know, what other experiences are out there and other platforms that we haven't even heard of yet that, uh, that we could be utilizing or investigating. Yeah, definitely. And if you guys haven't checked out that episode, it was somewhere in the beginning. Um, I don't remember exactly what episode it was where we had the CEO of Fundrise, uh, on the show, but mm-hmm. I remember him giving us a, a unique link. It was, uh, we have it redirected at investlikeaboss.com slash fundrise. And what that does is it lets you skip the, the waiting list. So a lot of people have been excited about that. Yeah, that was episode 12 with Ben Miller. And we actually have Kendall, who's in charge of their investments, coming on maybe next episode or the episode after to do more of a deep dive into into their funds, how to select funds if you're an investor, and just kind of updates on, on what's going on over at Fundrise. So I'm looking forward to that as well. Okay, very cool. So to wrap up this week's episode, what kind of big takeaway did you, did you take away from this, uh, this interview? And what are you going to do about your dividend stocks moving forward? My takeaway was... As I've received, I've gotten a lot of like kind of random text messages from people that I know in finance or people that I know that, you know, you and I are essentially focusing somewhat of our time on finance now. Uh, And a lot of people are saying stock markets overpriced valuation, uh, stock valuations are overpriced. You know, we had Harry Dent on. But for me, I don't really care because I'm not, I don't have enough of my total assets invested in stocks, bonds, you know, funds that I really worry. And at one point that's really kind of honed in on over the last couple of weeks is I keep looking at the markets at all time highs. Right. And it, that's exciting. Right. We keep learning about psychology investing and that's exciting. You want to see that. But at the end of the day, if I'm a long term investor, I shouldn't want that. I should want the market to correct, you know, 30 percent and stay down for a bit because then all the dividends that are being distributed reinvest in dollar cost average at a, at a lower price. So it's really counterintuitive. And it's it's that emotional side of investing that I'm still trying to, to learn and figure out. But I'm really happy with where I'm at with my funds. Um, major, major changes we, we put in place in 2016 after all, everything we learned. I'm keeping as I am. I'm loving the new information, but I'm, I'm sticking where I'm at. I love it. You know, that is, to me, that's actually one of the smartest things that any investor can do is figure out something that works and then just stick to it. You know, don't, cause that, that, I think that's the worst thing that can happen is people are either fear based where they end up selling, um, when they shouldn't be selling or they're afraid to move forward, uh, or they just kind of make changes all the time just to make, for the sake of making changes or being excited for something. So the mm-hmm. fact that you are comfortable enough to just stay put, I actually, I applaud that a lot. Appreciate that, buddy. How about you? What are your big takeaways and what are you doing? So I'm selling everything. <laughs> buying all dividend socks (laughs) i don't i don't think you're going to increase your your lifestyle uh too much even if you did sell everything um shangmai seems to fit you perfect on a on whatever budget you have right now yeah uh definitely and it's it's amazing being able to live in a place where i can do whatever i want to do and still only spend thirteen hundred dollars a month and I look literally be able to get massages every day, eat out 21 meals a week. I got a, the best foot massage in my life yesterday. The day before I got a two hour massage, you know, uh, with my friends that are visiting in town. And it's like, it's, it's something that 
I think is almost like a a hack, investment hack, where if you can make whatever salary you're making right now, whether it's with your own business or working remotely for a company, and you live somewhere just cheaper, and you don't have to move to Thailand for this. You can just move to the suburbs and get out, you know, get out of Manhattan. You can just move mm-hmm. to one of the boroughs, or you can move, um, you know, from LA to San Diego. You know, San Diego to me is even more beautiful, to be honest. But just move somewhere cheaper, and then instead of spending more money or using that extra money to buy a new car or something fancy, just keep your cost of living down and take all that extra money and just invest more every single month in whatever you're going to invest in, anyways. San Francisco to South Lake Tahoe, man. Yeah. <laughs> There's tons of people trying to do that. And thanks to the internet, that's becoming a reality. You know, people, people have a lot more flexibility now. They're, they're negotiating, uh, remote work or, or, or at least part-time remote work. So, there's cool things ahead for a lot of people that want to make it happen. And like Johnny said, there's definitely ways to optimize your financial life just around living a little bit cheaper. Yeah, definitely. So what I've been doing is I've been putting $3,000 into Vanguard every single month for the last, I think, year or longer. And I was going to up, I was going to increase that slightly with my income increasing. But to be honest, I'm a bit worried about the next stock market correction as well. So I'm trying to keep a little bit more money in cash and in things like Pure Street or Fundrise, where it's more of a fixed return every every single month than you know a fluctuation um, with the stocks. And almost kind of hoping as well that the stock market will drop, even though it's it sounds insane to want to see you know my net worth you know drop by 25% or more because of a market correction. You are right, and I should welcome that and say, you know what? Now, not only is my dividends uh, being reinvested, buying me more shares, but also if I continue to put $3,000 a month in, I'll just get more shares for that money. So in the long run, because I'm not planning on selling anything in, until I retire, which is going to be you know, at least 15, 20, 30 years from now, it's it'll be a good thing if it, if it does correct. You know, the, the real test for us and our, a lot of the learning that we've taken in from this podcast will be when there is that next bear market or that next recession or just, just even a correction for you and I to be sitting here and, and be really bullish and be like, okay, now's a good opportunity to buy because I've never been like that in my life. I've always been the guy when the market's down, I'm like running for the fence, want to get out of everything. So we'll see if we... Uh, we have the endurance and the fortitude to, to be thinking bullishly and smartly when that happens. If anything, we have to just remember, re-listen back to these episodes, you know, make a mental note, you know, you know, Sam, listen to episode 42, Johnny, listen to episode 42, hear your own, hear your own voice, hear your own words, and just remember to follow that plan. I like it. All right, man. Well, this has been a good episode. Let's pop off a couple of new reviews. Um, you got a couple or you want me to start? Yeah, go ahead and start. Okay. So again, guys, thanks again. Can uh, emphasize enough how important these reviews are. As some of the guests that we have lined up are still a secret, but you're going to be really happy with who we're bringing on to share the information. And that is all driven through your review. So thanks. So we got a new one by Rosie218 from the United States. And the title is Great Information, five-star review. I really like that Sam and Johnny are learning their way around investing along with their listeners. They took into a variety of investing platforms, not just stocks, index, fund, picks. I'm not sure if the digital nomad life is for me, but it sounds like Sam and Johnny have seen some amazing sites around the world. Thanks for including us all in the journey, Sue. Thank you very much, Sue. You know, the digital nomad life, I'm not sure it's for me either. I'm uh, I'm getting very comfortable here in Tahoe and might start slowing it down a bit, but uh, it's been a good journey for sure. Yeah, Johnny? I, I, I agree. Uh, I'm leaving Chiang Mai soon. I'm actually heading to Bali next week, mm-hmm. so we will see how, the, how my travels go. But to be honest, it really isn't for everyone, and... Mm-hmm. I think it's great to be able to have that option uh, either now or when we retire. So that, you know, traveling, I do, I do recommend, but not everyone has to be a digital nomad. That's why this podcast is seldom about that part of it. Um, <laughs> but I also want to thank uh, Dried Up Nine, also from the US, five stars. I'm a new subscriber. I'm 19 years old and looking for a mentor. And these guys might be able to help. And I think that's amazing that. He is looking into these things at 19. Can you imagine if you had all this information when you're still a teenager? Man, I had all the wrong ideas at 19. I had all the wrong direction, 
I mean, made so many mistakes outside of just financial issues. I wasn't wasn't considering reading at all. wasn't listening to podcasts, of course. So, I mean, if you get started at 19 and and you have you have this type of direction and and you're this excited about it, you're gonna you're gonna make some good good moves in your life and you're gonna get an early start, which is gonna help propel you for sure. Yeah, definitely. So, if you are 19 and you start investing even a hundred bucks a month and you do it consistently and you just never stop no matter what happens, you're going to be so much better off than the majority of the people in the world that get started when they're 35 or, you know, in their forties, uh, which most people do. So congratulations on finding this podcast, especially at that age, but no matter what age you guys are, uh, or you gals are, it's, it's great that, you know, to have you here. And thank you so much for leaving these reviews. If you want to, support the show, please go to investlikeaboss.com. And if you want to look at our book list and you want to book buy any of the books uh, from our Start Here page or our, uh, resources page, that helps contribute to the show. We can continue bringing you these great episodes for free. And if you guys want to just spread the word, not only can you tell all your friends about it, but if you go on the iTunes app, uh, you can open it up on your Mac. If you have one, you can download it on your PC, open to iTunes, search for invest like a boss, click on rating and give us a rating. Cause that helps us way more than you guys know. I mean, I, I really, really you know, thank every single person and excited that we are now at 99 reviews. <laughs> Well, we're going to just have to call my mom later and ask her to leave a review to be number 100. <laughs> or <laughs> since we have all of you on you know, the, the podcast now and listening, if whoever wants to be number 100, we're going to give you an extra special shout out. We will guarantee to mention your name and, and say thank you uh, for leaving us the 100th review. So hop on right now to iTunes and look for Invest Like a Boss and we'll see all of you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Best Like a Boss podcast. Join our mailing list at investlikeaboss.com to get exclusive access to our insider investment portfolios and our private members forum. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends and leave us a review in the iTunes store. It helps more than you know. See you guys next week.